Listen in Fridays to the new feature Times Like This on Aro City Radio in partnership with Luxembourg Times. Dawa, good morning. How are you? Morning, Sam. I'm very well. How are you? Uh, yeah, very good. Um, so lo- lots to talk about in the news this morning. Um, yes. There's one story that caught my eye, which is about how Luxembourg wants the EU armies to coordinate more. Now, there's been a lot of talk about military spending and, and boosting. Yes. Well, that's that's really interesting because um, uh, it was debated in Parliament yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, there's been, uh, of course, when Trump came in, uh, he said uh, Europe should pay more, otherwise he was threatening to leave NATO, sure. and uh, he was doing all these things that, uh, in military uh, action, that Europe didn't know anything about. So it was clear that uh, that led to a sort of belief in Europe that we needed to stand on our own more in uh, in, in security matters, sure. in geopolitical matters. Uh, Macron then came out and said that NATO was brain dead, uh, which was an interesting, uh, interesting comment. Uh, the debate uh, in Luxembourg yesterday reflected, and the Germans seemed to me be more on the side of let's keep this transatlantic thing going. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Biden has come in, and everybody's like, well, is that going to change the whole picture? Uh, are we going to go back to the good old NATO days, or you know, has Trump managed to disrupt this relationship that we had? Uh, permanently, and I think it's a little bit of the latter because that 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 uh, awareness in Europe that we needed uh, probably we did need to do a little bit more to, uh, you know, to boost our own military cap- capacity and to work more together in uh, between uh, armies, national armies in Europe. That's not going to go away even now that uh, that Biden has come in, and that was also clearly the the view from from uh, for- Foreign Minister Asselborn who was in Parliament and from Defence Minister Bausch who was in Greens. Uh, he was from the Green Party, interestingly enough. Uh, they both said that, yes, we want uh, armies across borders to pool capacities. It'll also save costs, it m- it'll make it more efficient. Uh, and uh, we we do want to stay in NATO. We hope that Biden is going to be a little bit nicer to us. Uh, but uh, I guess alongside that, that they're more that self-sufficient. The Trump message was loud and clear, and it was actually, uh, I think, a lot of people uh, deep in their hearts to sort of agree with him in uh, in Europe. Uh, then the other story, uh, let's talk about COVID. Xavier um, Bettel is going to have a press conference later today. Is there any indication about what will be discussed I have not that? seen anything about that, no. We'll just listen to it and listen to what he has to say. Uh, it was interesting to see uh, this morning in the uh, in a political survey that uh, that's done in the country frequently, the Politmonitor, that uh, the socialists have uh, have have won in public sentiment, and that's undoubtedly because of Paulette Lenat's uh, frequent press conferences, uh, which I always thought she did really well. She was calm. She had one message. She uh, sh- she gave it very clearly. She said, "We cannot solve everything for you. It's your own responsibility." But this is what we are now going to do, and she made herself very popular with that, and that she uh, that that re- reflected in the uh, in the political barometer. That came out, but in terms of what is going to be said today, I I, I don't know. I can't imagine that he would uh, announce any uh, new measures. The last measures, the the the, the sort of uh, lockdown or the, the minor lockdown that we had. It, it, that was because the number of infections was above 500. Number sure. of days. I mean, it still is, though, right? They still are. Yeah. I mean, there's one or two days where it was below 500. So, so far, it doesn't seem to have worked very much. Uh, maybe he'll make a conditional announcement, like if it doesn't go low, lower, we'll, we'll, we'll toughen the measures again. I don't know. 
but uh, certainly the numbers have been not good. Uh, infections over 500, the number of deaths have, has also been going up. Uh, yeah, I mean, they seem really high. I mean, high notwithstanding the, the small population. Um, well, in terms of the size of the population, uh, Luxembourg is by far the worst hit country in Europe yeah. uh, in terms of new infections. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's clearly the highest. Uh, in number of deaths, it's not. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Okay. This is a, a, a normal uh, a normal rate for many European countries. Uh, but you're right, in terms of the infections, it's hard to understand. Uh, I've sometimes thought that maybe it's because it, Luxembourg is really only one city, right? And sure. then there's a little bit of countryside, but not very much. If you go to Germany, it's such a huge country, there's, there's vast empty areas. You don't have that in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. And I think because the virus is so prevalent in cities, that may be why it's higher in Luxembourg as well. And we're testing a lot, which I suppose may mean that you find, find more of the cases of the disease that would otherwise go unnoticed. Uh, interesting to see where they go from here then as you know we, we mentioned just before we came on air that mm. you know we're, we're approaching a period where I mean the thing about Luxembourg is that people leave and come and cross yeah. the borders an awful yeah. lot and there's a, there's a lot of influx. But and besides I mean don't forget that these numbers do not even include cross-border workers because oh, they really? left them out of the equation a while back because ah. the numbers were then so high and everybody was saying in the beginning of the of the pandemic what's happening in Luxembourg, and they said, well, that's because of the cross-border workers. So they left out all the cross-border workers. If you, if you test positive and you're a cross-border worker, you're not going to be in those numbers. Really? Yes. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot more people here with the disease than you even see in the numbers. Wow, okay, that is interesting. And then, then as, I said, as we said, you know, we're coming up to a period where a lot of people will probably go back to wherever we'll they back. come from yes. and then come back again in January. We could be looking at a real spike in uh, yeah. a month's time. It's clear that travel is uh, traveling is not good for the for the for the for the disease. So uh, we'll see. On the other hand, I'm an optimist. We're in the home stretch. I think the vaccine is here. Uh, so uh, is there any kind of talk about when that might be introduced in Luxembourg or, or what's the situation with that? Well, I, uh, it was always coordinated uh, in Europe, so I can't imagine that Europe is far behind the UK. Uh, mm -hmm. UK will start m on Monday. I can't imagine that Europe uh, will be far behind. Uh, now, you have a bit of a scoop this week. This is the uh, EU budget deadlock will hamper crime fight. What is that? All right. Uh, well, this is the so-called EPO, the European Public Prosecutor's Office. It's a new prosecutor mm -hmm. uh, based in Luxembourg. Uh, specifically to prosecute f crime with uh, EU funds. So if there is corruption, if a, if a country gets paid uh, a billion for a certain project or a hundred million and half of that money is stolen, she, the, this new prosecutor, specifically will target and prosecute those crimes throughout so this is, Europe. This is white-collar crime, essentially? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's it's fraud with EU funds, uh -huh. and people always say, "Oh, all that money is disappearing in pockets of people who shouldn't have it." So that is what she is going to address. It's a good initiative. Of course, those crimes were already prosecuted, but at the national level, mm -hmm. and she's going to have an office with 22 national prosecutors in that office. So each country sends a prosecutor to her office here in the cashback. And um, it's a really interesting story because um, everybody, every country also has a, a national group of people working at it in the home countries. Okay. And they cannot start working before each country 
has, uh, has nominated two people to work in those offices. And only three countries have done that so far. So they cannot begin working. So what's the holdup? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe people... Go governments have other things on their mind, I guess. I don't know. Uh, maybe people. Yeah, maybe they were busy with the pandemic. Maybe, maybe some countries are not so eager to prosecute crimes in their own country under under the uh, guidance of the EU. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that. You're, it's a good question. We'll need to we'll need to do a follow up story on that. Uh, so, but she also said that um, that's one side of the equation. Mm -hmm. It's they that EPO have always also said it's hard to attract people to Luxembourg because a lot of these people would come from Brussels. They're already EU uh, sure. officials or uh, fonctionnaires. They would come from Brussels to Luxembourg and they don't want to because they don't get a higher pay. If, they're in, if you're in that salary in Brussels, you're going to get paid the same in Luxembourg. And people in Brussels are saying, yes, but rents are much higher in Luxembourg. Or if I want to buy something, it's much more expensive. And you don't get a markup. Mm -hmm. And that's always been an issue. And, that's, and I think Luxembourg is a little bit worried about that, that that would stand in the way of EU institutions gradually moving away from, really? uh, from Luxembourg. Yeah, that's been a, a, a concern in the government for sure. Uh, I don't think it's, easy, it's going to be easy for the country to, to, to get the EU to pay higher salaries in Luxembourg. I don't think that that's going to be easy, particularly now with all the upheaval about the budget. Sure. Um, and and, and is, you say the EU budget deadlock, is that the issue? That's that, that is <laughs> that's another issue. Okay, so what, what is the... That the, issue is because there, if there is... That's an even bigger issue because the EU needs a new budget for next year, from next year. Mm -hmm. Poland and Hungary are blocking that budget because the budget is made conditional on countries sticking to the basic rules of democracy. And as you know, there have been some, uh, some, uh, some issues in, in, in Poland and Hungary around the court, around the freedom of press. And, the, and, and Brussels has now said, OK, if you want to receive any money of the, out of this EU budget, you're going to have to promise, you know, legal independence, media independence, political independence, and so on and so forth. And Hungary and Poland don't want to sign that deal. And that's why they're blocking the veto. So at the moment, it looks like the EU won't have any money to uh, to do new things with next year. And then the EPO is in even greater trouble. So there's there's the issue of the budget. There's the issue of of countries not having appointed people domestically, and there is the issue of. Uh, of the uh, of the attracting people to Luxembourg. attracting people to Luxembourg exactly great <laughs> so it's a good start for Epo it really is <laughs> it was honestly a story when we first started looking at oh, that's kind of interesting and then it grew more interesting as we looked at it so yeah 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 uh, well another story that uh, well I think probably the main story in this region in the last week has been the uh, the attack in Trier this is where yeah. uh, a driver drove through the pedestrianised streets killing five and injuring many more uh, including a nine week old baby which was uh, a horrific and, and tragic story yeah um, it must have been quite hard to cover yeah well it it, it is uh, it is because it's uh, you need to be um, uh, ultra accurate you don't want to say anything uh, that that's wrong mm -hmm. uh, you want to be the, the uh, when an event like that had uh, ha happens a tragic event like this happened you get all kinds of rumors floating around on Facebook and on social media and you need as I think your role as a 
as a newspaper is to make sure that everything you write is 100% correct. So you're, it's, it's in the first hours you, you need to very frantically verify all the information and, and, and uh, so it's hard work in the first two, two or three hours. And of course it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing to write about. Uh, it's also a terrible thing. Uh, it, it's so senseless, you know, that somebody... Uh, I, we don't know what happened, we don't know what kind of a guy it was. They've only said they may have had psychiatric pro problems or mental problems, mental health problems. Well, one of the things that I was interested in the coverage of it was, I mean, obviously, I think when a lot of people heard this first, it reminded them of some of the terrorist attacks that happened at Christmas markets in the in years gone by. Yeah. Uh, and then the, you know, the designation of what this was, whether it was a terrorist attack, attack whether it was a, uh, like a, I don't know, a lone wolf, I've seen some people yeah. call it, or somebody with mental problems. Finding that distinction, I think, is quite quite interesting and the the way that that is uh, designated by the press and it's something that I'd like to ask you about a little bit because you know d does a terrorist attack have to have some kind of political or religious or some kind of ideolo ideology behind it in order for it to be a terrorist attack or just simply causing terror for no reason discounted as that well, uh, I come from Reuters, and in Reuters we were not allowed to use the word terrorist in our copy because uh, it was a val it's a value judgment. Okay. Uh, and they would always say one country's terrorist is another con other country's freedom, freedom fighter. fighter. Sure. So uh, we couldn't use it. Uh, we were much criticized for that uh, during the 9/11 uh, attacks in in the U.S. Because you know if you didn't say terrorist, you were not, uh, unpatriotic. We still didn't use it. So you're right. Uh, it's it's an uh, it's an uh, it's not an easy one. When you cover a story like that, you think like, okay, what's happening here? You know that in the first uh, the first news flashes, there were two people had been killed because a guy had driven his car through a crowd. So you know two things: the number of victims is going to go up. It's always the case, and. You need to ask yourself, what was, what kind of an attack was this? Was this politically motivated? Then maybe they were uh, organized more professionally. Maybe there will be other attacks in other parts of the city or even or even here in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So you need to be ultra, uh, ultra aware of that. And I think that's why the distinction between... As soon as you hear that this guy was drunk and had uh, mental problems, you think like, okay, then he was probably not very well organized. So you know that it's probably more limited than when, if you were to hear that, okay, this was a religiously or politically motivated attack, mm. and this person who did that may be part of an organization that's also doing uh, activity somewhere else. So, so it's so also it a practical consideration in how you cover that story. So does it need to be, does the person need to be part of an organization or, you know, doing it for a reason? Is what I guess is the is the question in order for it to be a terrorist attack because you know it was, it's it it's it's not an accident. I I find like the the drunk thing almost like a I I find it a strange qualification in this story because it seems like you know if you've been if if you're drunk you can still stop. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can you can decide that you know actually not zigzag down the road like this. No, but did, okay. I mean? So if you ask, what's the definition of terrorism? Is terrorism is spreading terror for political uh, uh, purposes because you want to de destabilize a region uh, or you want to destabilize a policy? This guy. Uh, so I think a terrorist would not be drunk because he has a he has a job to do. Sure. Like, 
And uh, I also saw that um, they've installed uh, concrete barriers now around the pedestrian areas in Luxembourg as re- in response. Yeah, to that's why there were some questions in the in the press conference in Tria. Because um, they would have been up had the Christmas markets been there, right? Well, people were saying like normally we would have had the Christmas market around now, and you would have had the bollards and the concrete blocks out around there, and this wouldn't have happened, which is kind of a counterfactual. Okay, so if we would have had the Christmas market, if we didn't because of COVID, mm-hmm. this attack could never have happened. And then, uh, I mean, I know it's all hypothetical. Some eye rolling uh, from the police because what do you say to that? Okay, so you want us to not do the Christmas market and put the concrete. Uh-huh. There. Well, maybe, but yes, you're right. Now they're in, they've been installed in the in the city of Luxembourg as well. Finally, uh, as another crime story. Actually, this is quite an interesting one that uh, I, I find I, when I first read it, I, I found it completely mad. This is uh, the row over private security being employed to uh, police in inverted commas. Well, I, I take a vested interest at because I live here in the gar. And, yeah. Um, um, yeah. It, <laughs> what shall I say? Um, Yeah, so so this is the story where Liddy Polfer is hired. Uh, is it six? Um, the uh, security six, firm. I think six uh, uh, security people, and then another group of six who were sort of more like um, street workers, okay. people who keep an eye on things, uh, but not with a uh, not with a security uh, point of view. Well, it's interesting because uh, people keep complaining about crime in the area, and. Um, And and Polfer just says, um, I mean, politically, I think it's very savvy, because uh, she blames the police for not solving the problems, and then and then hired these uh, uh, these private people, private security people. So she's putting a lot of pressure on on the minister of Interior sure. Cox and and the police for uh, for doing a better job. Um, But I wonder, I mean, I, I guess these people don't have the power to arrest or, or anything like that. They're simply people in uniform. They're almost like. A warning or a, you know a deterrent rather yes, than actually. Yes, but I think if there is a group of drug dealers and they see one of them coming, I think they'll they'll go away. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay, but they, but like what what sort of response? I wonder what sort of responsibility or liability they have, you know, in terms you know uh, yeah, as employees the, the, of the city I, or employees of sixth or. or I, I will like say, that. living in this area, and I should be a little bit cautious saying that I think the fact that it is a national police and not a local police is not always uh, a great advantage, because uh, I don't. We often get the impression that uh, um, police is a little bit distant uh, from the citizen. And uh, as people who live here, uh, we know a lot about what's happening. We know where the drug dealing is taking place. Mm-hmm. We know when it's taking place. Uh, we know a lot of their faces. Uh, we just know them because we see them every day. Sure. So, and that's information I think that the police could benefit from. And what do you think the the solution to that is? Is this? I mean, you say it's a sort of a politically savvy decision, uh, but I guess it's a short term one. It has to be. It was only also only for two months. So um, it is another story that we will need to ask ourselves: What's going to happen then? What's going? To, what's the solution going to be? But I would definitely uh, welcome uh, uh, closer tentacles in the in the area. Talk to people, hear what they have to say, and mm-hmm. work with them. Because I lived in London as well, and that that police is much more listening to what local people have to say. Interesting. Well, lots of stories there that I think will develop as we uh, as we go forward, and uh, well worth keeping an eye on. And if you want to keep an eye on them yourselves, everybody, you can check out luxtimes.lu. Dowie, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Great to be here. See you. Bye.